with it being an unenjoyable experience, a unprofessional from a, a consultation point of view, and then that the, the treatments were, were pretty extortionately priced. So. From Swoop, it's Take the Plunge, a podcast about how business owners decided to stop what they were doing and took the plunge to start their own business. We take a look at how they came to that decision and what those first crucial steps were in getting their business up and running. My name is Kieran Brick, and I'll be your host for this episode. Today, we're joined by Will Kennedy and Adrian Gilban, who are the founding team behind Sons. Sons offer clinically proven hair loss treatments direct to your door, and their mission is to make every new generation of sons healthier and happier than the last. Brilliant to have you guys uh, join us today. Will and Adrian, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, first of all, how are you both doing? Doing good, Kira. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Bro, with, the, with this show, we like to go back to the very beginning. How did you guys decide to stop what you were doing in terms of professional careers and decide we're going to start up a business? It's a good question. You know, I think at the time, so you're kind of going back to the summer of 2018, and I think at the time, neither of us were looking to, to leave our jobs. Um, you know, my own background is in, in, was in food and beverage uh, before starting Sons. I'd spent seven years with Kerry working across um, commercial M&A and then business management. And, you know, so I suppose the nature of the job is probably quite entrepreneurial minded and, and kind of led me to that position anyway. So probably open minded to it, but definitely not looking to leave. And I think it, like what's relevant is Adrian and myself's friendship within it. We've been close mates since we both moved to London about eight years ago. And at that particular time, we both went to a clinic uh, for, for hair loss uh, prevention in London. And we were out on a Saturday after that, having a point down in South London. And we were sharing our experience at the time and, and both had very common frustrations with it being an unenjoyable experience, a unprofessional from a, a consultation point of view, and then that the, the treatments were, were pretty extortionately priced. So I think we were chatting probably pretty fluidly after a few drinks, and we, we saw a common opportunity. We were saying, you know, a real opportunity to improve that service and, and, and wider parts of men's health as the conversation evolved. And I think what was quite nice was the blend of experience you know adrian's background as a as a you know a, a doctor of science and in the pharmaceutical industry mine and commercial and, and consumer that we were able to identify you know about to, to create a brand and actually how we could actually create a direct consumer model to, to to address the needs so yeah i think it was really i suppose a nice place for a business to start which is we identified a problem and a solution to it for me as well i was kind of going through it was very much a similar process in terms of you know, I, I was in no way planning to, you know, start a business. It just kind of happened. I was very focused on my career in EY. And I think what I was doing, I'd worked in pharmaceuticals my whole life, um, initially in R&D, and then it, more in a kind of commercial consulting setting. But I did really believe in this opportunity from a hair loss perspective, but also felt that there was really a significant opportunity to be positioned as a direct-to-consumer business so really believed in the opportunity, felt, you know, we could do well well here. And there was a real opportunity for us as sons to go after the mild diseases. And, and that's really what led us to, to start the business. Um, I suppose what I'm also quite interested in is you, you, you touched on the fact that you kind of formulated this over a couple of points. And there's no doubt that every Friday night, Saturday night around the world, 
millions of businesses are formulated over a couple of points, but come Monday, they're just a pipe dream. So how did you take it from having a couple of points to actually starting to make it a, a real thing and starting to, to, to make this happen? Yeah, very true, because I think we've, I, I certainly probably had a few of them before, you know. I think, again, it kind of comes back to how um, excited we were around the opportunity and because we had gone through the experience ourselves of, you know, dealing with the thing and going, oh, geez, my hair is starting to fall out and what do you do about it? And then you try and go for your treatment and you're like, oh, well, that wasn't, I wasn't satisfied with that. And then that mixed with our experience as well. We were, we, we knew that we, we could you know, we felt we could do a better job than what was out there at the moment. Where it started the next few months after that were around kind of bringing the idea into more of an actual business plan. I was working out of, you know, I was in Mortimer House at the time and Adrian and I would have spent a lot of evenings in there, you know, taking the idea into a business plan. And I think we'd both been tr through my role in Kerry in, in, in business management in, in, in Adrian's in consultancy in EY. We were definitely had a experience. It wasn't alien to us in writing business plans. So kind of we had a good idea where to start. I think knowing each other well, we kind of knew who had what skill sets. And so we, we kind of divided and conquered that up. On the Monday morning, I always remember Will called me and he was like, so we're going to meet up and do this. And I was like, if you nearly weren't taking it. I didn't expect that to happen. I, think, I, I was still drunk. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think it was our friendship and also the two of us being in it together was very important to get it to the next stage because I, I think even if you're on your own, it's much a harder thing. But the different skill set then was very important at you know, moving it forward. Yeah. And my background had been in consulting. So I went through, I suppose, helping clients answer some of the questions that we were now going through. So I was able to use that skill set to answer some of the pharmaceutical medical side, you know, how are we able to launch this business yeah. as a digital health business? How do we offer online consultations? How do we offer prescriptions to our patients? And how do we dispense products from a pharmacy and deliver it direct to the consumer? So we had to give our investors, potential investors, comfort that this could be achieved. And I think another thing that my skill set was good at was I worked in corporate finance with Ernst & Young. So I think a lot of you know, entrepreneurs struggle with the valuation aspect. And Will had worked in m and and Kerry, so we were able to sit down and really, I suppose, assess it and come to a valuation that we felt comfortable with and be confident in what we had planned and built. No, definitely, yeah. I think kind of for that, like kind of, and, and that was, I think again, we mentioned the kind of blend of experience. It, it dovetailed really nicely. You know, I was able to look more at kind of consumer, uh, commercial marketing sides of things and we looked at primary secondary research in the business plan but one of the most valuable things we did was we ran a piece of primary research with 100 um, guys in, in the demographic really helped us validate the idea from you know their perspective what did they, how did they perceive the category you know you probably about 60 percent of them it was relevant to you know um, from you know going through a similar condition so we could see it from their eyes really helped validate well stuff like price points and stuff so that was a strong piece of research for the business plan and uh okay you've you've now kind of validated you've done a bit of market research how was it handing in your notices and going from being a comfortable paid job progressing in professional career what was that like uh how did you go through that psychologically were you exhilarated were you shitting your pants like what, what what was that like to go through yeah i think a mixed emotion uh of for me like of, of of excitement because you know 
you, you believe in what you're doing and then also it's it's a bit frightening as well when you realize that you know you're you're kind of the, you're not going to be paid next month and um you know you're, you're all you're also living a, a particular type of lifestyle that you're probably subconsciously used to and, and you know that you may have to start making changes there so you know there, there's 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 mixed emotions when when you're doing that but I, I think for us overwhelmingly, like we were, there was never any fear there. It was just about how do we get this off the ground as quick as possible. I think the, the overall feeling was probably of excitement, you know? Yeah, definitely. I think for me, it was a lot of excitement. I suppose it definitely takes you a period of time to be ready to do it. You know, there was the period when we're doing our business plan and we're doing both jobs. But then you just get to a stage where you know, in order to get that buy-in and bring it to the next level, you're either in or you're out. Um, and we did that together and you know we have no regrets now which is which is testament to what we've done yeah so then the the next juncture i'll probably be interested in chatting to you about is going live getting that first sale you're in a b2c model customers are super important uh but your startup don't have much cash how hard was it getting those first customers what was that experience like getting that first sale in it was like we we launched the business in on the at the end of december last year and like i think we we'd spent quite a bit of time on our marketing strat before that and you know we we brought in someone as well at marketing director level about three months before we launched who had extensive experience in um at cmo level in consumer uh, lifestyle businesses and and direct consumer and performance marketing so you know we, we built out a a, a, a marketing strategy that we were confident on but you know as an online business i think when you launch initially your, your bread and butter really will be online paid advertising you know can you uh, put an ad on front of someone can you get them to the website when they get to the website which is your shop can they go through that and will they purchase so that's what you're watching out for and you know in the first week we we, we sold 100 plans you know which was for us was was amazing you know in, in terms of validating you know it's like remember when someone came in that we didn't know that bought something <laughs> is this a robot yeah that was very encouraging and you know i think as well from being an online business in the channels where you're marketing you can there's really strong reporting so you you can really get learnings very very quickly and um, so i think in the first few weeks it was you know we were able to see what was working what maybe wasn't working and doing more of what 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 has been or what was working and that's really kind of been our our model since so and for me that week as well the excitement because i think unlike you know maybe some other e-commerce businesses it's quite a quick process to get to market we were in a pharmaceutical space which was highly regulated there was a lot of processes we had to go through to get to so there was there was a lot of satisfaction just even in that first week knowing we had went from finding manufacturers getting our licenses getting to market so that for me there was a lot of satisfaction and enjoyment in that week that's actually sorry far i think even more satisfying was the fact because you know your pharmacy operation yeah like we we set a pharmacy up as a joint venture adrian did you know which, which to get that live and have all of those processes there I think that was, you know, really, really satisfying. Yeah, and one thing we learned, like I learned very quickly in that week was, you know, I didn't really come from a technology background. So we had established pharmacy operations and within two to three weeks, I realized, okay, this this needs to be a lot more integrated. It needs to be scalable. So you were, you were just, you started to learn very quickly what you needed to do in order to bring it to the next level. So 
the first project in the pharmacy was trying to move away from quite manual process to have integrated seamless systems, which we now have. And that's now allowing us to grow and grow month on month. You're, you're starting to, to get sales in. That's that's pretty awesome in its own right. You're, you're obviously trying to cons- get more and more consumers through the door. How big a role does like experimentation play at the beginning? Have you done hours and hours of research into marketing strategies? Or are you still in that embryonic stage of, of just trying lots of different things? And, and kind of what experiments were, were you guys doing? You want to do your research to make sure the experiments, like when you're spending money, it's, you know, if it doesn't return, it's gone. And, and as a startup, we, like, you know, we raised our, you know, we kind of raised our seed funding over a long period of time. We, you know, we, we had to start it back at the, you know, the end of 18 because we had to kick off a pharmaceutical licensing process. It's then... We then kind of commercialized the business and then we raised 75% of the seed just almost at launch to fund marketing, staff, stock costs for nine to 12 months. And so you're, you're kind of, you're conscious that what you spend has got a return. So you want to make sure that your research on what you're spending on is kind of done before you do it. But there's still huge amounts of experimentation in it. You know, we found like, say, for example, and we, we continue to, use a lot of influencers and ambassadors across um, social, you know, they can give a great return. But what we found as well is it's kind of diminishing returns that when they speak your brand first, you know, you get a huge traffic drive to the, to the website. And, and a lot of the time, you know, you can get a good return off it. But the second or third or fourth time that you might work with them, it fatigues with their audience. So what you find from that is like, okay, that model works, but you need to change that up and you need to find more ambassadors rather than working with just a few. So you kind of, there, there's your model with that like evolves the same way with um, advertising on online. You find that specific audiences is, is, you know, what performs really, really well. So you're trying to, again, refine that and and, and find more audience of a, of a similar lookalike. So I think that's constantly experimentation is and, and reviewing it and refining is, is is part of it. Like we we have a you know a marketing call with our internal and agencies every Tuesday, and you know there's 14 people on that call, and we review every single one of our marketing initiatives. And and then each week, you know, we keep our our budget and and our campaigns fairly agile, so we can change it up on a weekly or at, or at most monthly basis. You know, mm-hmm. and that's been what I think from moving from large corporates like Ernst and Young to startup. You use the word agile there. You know being able to change your decision-making week to week and not having to jump through a lot of hoops in order to implement that. So that's been quite enjoyable, how fast you can react and how you can change to what's working quickly. Definitely, yeah. So, I mean, you're talking a lot about reacting to what's working quickly. So you're obviously reading a lot of live feeds, data. How big a role do do, do tools that give you that information play in the day-to-day running of your business? They, they play a huge role in, in terms of performance marketing. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're at a stage where now we're starting to be a little bit more loose around brand building initiatives and, you know, you can put more stuff out there, which is, which is, you know, it's a point that's, it's very important for us as well. We're, we're a healthcare brand, you know, in digital space trust is important. So traditional kind of stuff like TV and, and, and print and stuff we look at as well. But in the day to day of like customer acquisition, performance is performance marketing is, you know, reporting is, is key to the you know, the growth of our business. Um, but at the same time, I think with that, you need to make it simple as well in a way that you can actually understand it yeah. and, you know, actually take 
you know, take stuff from it and act on the, 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 the data you have. So the way we do that is we take all our online reports that we have, but we pull that into basically a live Excel dashboard that we look at every single day, which is effectively our KPI stats, which shows us where does our traffic come from by each channel and, you know, how does that, what channel delivered what in terms of sales. And that allows, that tells us basically, we know if we switched on a particular channel, mm-hmm. like if we throttled up our TV campaign, our direct traffic uh, goes up with it, we know it worked. If it doesn't, we know it, it didn't work. So, you know, I think we take the all the online reporting tools, but we kind of almost review it in quite a, a manual way to try and make it more simplistic because as well, I think we find with the wider team that kind of, they can kind of interpret it, interpret that better and understand what's working and what's not working. So has that been a kind of a way for you to kind of find things that have gone particularly well or not so well um, and be able to react to them? Um, are there, yeah, are there a couple of things that happened? You're like, God, that just did not go to plan and you were able to, to pull the plug on it? Yeah, I, I think there's probably been a few things that have, you know, we spent on and we thought they would deliver and they haven't delivered. And then, of course, there's been some stuff that we've, you know, mm-hmm. spent on it done really really well so you guys touched a lot on having complementary roles and skill sets and how big a role has it been in terms of people within the business in in terms of like who did you decide to bring on as your first hire or your first advisor and how important do you have people become in in shaping and growing your business yeah so i think on the pharmaceutical medical side and very early on we had to gain the licenses to supply and sell the products in the uk so we brought in a team of expert regulatory consultants Mm -hmm. IPG Pharma, so they were the first group of consultants we worked with, and they were essential in doing the license applications, dealing with the authorities, and they've worked with us, they're still working with us now, but they worked with us throughout the 18-month process of getting those licenses, so they were instrumental in the early parts, and then as a healthcare business, trust is very important, so building that medical and pharmaceutical infrastructure is very important, so we brought in a medical director, Dr. Knute Mo trained GP um, and he joined us from one of Ireland's leading hair loss clinics so he's been essential in you know delivering the best in care for our patients and we also established a pharmacy as Will had mentioned earlier so we were working with a team of experts there who've been essential in delivering the dispensing side of the business and the pick and pack services so I think you know using the, the word trust mentioning it again that that's been very important so regulatory medical and pharmacy has been very important in, in that aspect. And how, how have your roles changed, I suppose, as you've, as you've brought new, new people into the business? Probably a little bit at the start, we were very intertwined. So we're, there was less to do, so we were kind of working on things together. But now we've went in our separate ways in terms of Will, you know, is on the sales and marketing side, whereas I'm very focused on the product and the operational side. So we're now working in, in very different roles, I would say, but then obviously in a startup, we're touching base with each other daily on, on most things. Yeah. I, I think that I think we did at the, at the at the outset. We kind of we did have it mapped out in terms of you know what our roles were. But at that time, those roles don't exist exactly because everyone's doing everything. It's just with the, when the workload increases and you start to develop out proper you know units of your business within like Adrian's built out a full healthcare pharmacy team. You know we have a full 
um, you know, marketing team, which effectively is our sales and marketing team, and we have a customer care team, and you know, then they roll up into different reporting units, and you, you know, your your roles kind of split then. So, yeah, I mean, I think we, but we still, you know, and some are very linked because you know, say customer care, for example, that's essential to the operations of the business running smoothly, yeah. but it's all essential in how we talk to our customers. Yeah. So for that role specifically, we're very much always interacting on how we can improve it and you know deliver that. Because yeah, I suppose you, you, you both touched on in the very beginning how important customer care was because of your initial experience and how poor it was. So how have you managed to constantly ensure that you're delivering a quality customer care and how important is that customer care element to, to your business? Yeah, so I think one thing that kind of is validates the success of our customer care is if, if you kind of see our trust pilot reviews mm-hmm. were the lead with a leading provider in our category. So that's kind of a testament. We've really developed we have a team of now five across customer care. Yeah. We aim to deliver responses within twenty four hours. We have general customer care that focuses on product and service. Yeah. But on top of that we have a specific medical customer care that delivers with any product queries or if somebody wants to speak directly to a doctor as well, we offer that. So we ensure, depending on what the person wants, we're able to accommodate that and deliver that speed. How, how, how do you manage with, with things like reviews? Can you take them on the chin? Do you find them very personal to take? It can, can be it can be pretty deeply cut. On the chin, we get really upset. <laughs> we get, if we got a one-star review now, we'd end this end this podcast. Reviews for us, you mentioned customer service, like it's in particular you know, in digital health that look, it's a fast growing space, but people are still skeptical of it. So they do a lot of diligence on you before they want to sign up because they're signing up into a medical treatment plan. So, you know, for that, um, you know, we've kind of two marks of, I would say, um, customer reviews, one of which is Trustpilot, you know, and, and as Aiden said, you know, we're rated excellent on there. We have the best, um, you know, we have the best reviews in, in the category, which we're very proud of and that kind of testament to the customer care team. But the other one is the customer testimonials. So, you know, we have a section on our site where customers will um, leave reviews, but vi- um, also progress updates that they've had over the past kind of three to six or nine months of, of being with Sons. And I think, they're really a testament to it as well. Um, but you know, that's an area that we'll continue to invest in, you know, and, and continue to focus on because it's, you know, for us, it's it's really the, you know, customer service and um, customers being loyal to our brand and staying with us over time is just so key to our success. Talk to me for, about COVID for a second. You, you've launched your business, you're going, going four months, getting the first couple of months under your belt, getting a bit of routine, and then that kicks in. Did it have an impact on the business? How did you, did you panic? Did you, did you just take it head on? What was, what was your thinking as, as it kicked in? That was, you mentioned, kind of, was leaving the job frightening or was that, like none of that was frightening. <laughs> was from a business perspective being like we were three months trading and you know kind of you're just watching this unfold and uh, I, I think at the time it was we were just really starting to see uh real growth in our marketing channels and um this this happened so i think we were initially taught that from an operational perspective something would break in the chain for us at our stage and you know we wouldn't have the stability as a business to maybe operationally be able to supply our customers, which was the, that was the main worry. And I think we have had 
we're part of, you know, initiative came into a bit, but then there was luck as well. Like we had our pharmacy remained open, our, our factories remained supplying us. And um, to date, not that the challenges aren't still there, but to date we've, we've been able to maintain close to 100% delivery to our customers in the period. You know, we've, we've definitely, as I said, there's been luck in it, but we've been definitely well positioned through the last nine months and been able to maintain strong growth through the period. Yeah, I think as Will mentioned, you know, we were we were lucky that we were able to keep our pharmacy open and, you know, so thankful and grateful to that team that, you know, constantly worked throughout the process. Also, though, operationally, I think there was the challenges that started to emerge was one of the things was lead time. So you were able to, you know, get a product within 10 weeks, 12 weeks was all of a sudden becoming 24 weeks. And then all of a sudden your capital was being tied up in stock. So you, you felt pressure that you weren't expecting, but luckily we were agile, we thought quickly and we've been able to work our way through it. Just going to take it back a little bit um, and ask you a little bit about the investment side, side of things and helping you get off the ground. Many, many startups get, go out there to try raise external finance and the vast majority of them fail. Um, how did you find it as a process and uh, what was it like going through that experience? We both were, we had some knowledge of, as we said, of business plans and maybe, you know, what's entailed in it, but in, you know, pitching for investment was, was a new thing to both of us. So I think there was straight up, you just learn as you go. And, and we knew we were too, too small to like approach any kind of real professional, you know, industry kind of venture level. But so it was, it was like at an angel level that we were looking. Um, and, you know, so it's, it's kind of, you're looking through your network or, you know, to, to, to find people that might have a, have an interest in the space. I think fair to say as well, Kieran, like, you know, at that stage, having known yourself and Andrea Swoop were a, a very good help for us in terms of what we should do structurally, how we set up structurally as a business and also some stuff that we would have looked at from startup loans to SEIS that we were able to look at as, as funding routes. And I think, you know, we were, there's a couple of things in writing the business plan, I think that probably really like we knew we had something from the model, but I think there was the US, there was a lot happening in digital health. There was a lot happening specifically within men's health, huge growth, huge investment. I think from a consumer perspective, you could see stuff like Dollar Shave Club, Harry's Razors, the huge adoption from consumers into those models, direct consumer models. So like we had a very, we had a, I think a, a compelling deck to get investment, but it was, it was tricky because we had to raise uh, an amount of money to get the clock to start on our pharmaceutical licenses. And I think that was the challenge because a lot of investors want to give money and the business to start yesterday. Mm -hmm. so I think that was a challenge having to sell it that this is the opportunity, but we're going to launch at the end of um, December, you know, and this is kind of the prior year. So I think that was, yeah, that was like, you know, the license application process can take around 18 months. So that's a long time for putting investment in and so much could go wrong in that space of time. So there's that risk for them. And on top of that, when you're speaking, I think to more generalist people, pharmaceuticals can be quite complex mm -hmm. and not that they're, you know, we were telling them it's a generic product that we're launching and the, the, the launch and the license is, is basically guaranteed. But that it wasn't necessarily something that all investors would believe. Yeah. So there was that reason convince them that this was you know something that was going to happen so that was definitely a challenge but i found it was a very enjoyable process as well because the personal development you got from being tested in that sort of environment was something that is a great skill to have moving forward definitely and 
you know, in the end, we're absolutely delighted with the set of investors that we brought in. People who've, who've built global brands in the pharmaceutical and consumer healthcare sector, people who've exited businesses in, you know, insurance and finance subscription businesses, people within media and specifically like media personality, you know, Jamie Lang who invested in us because he had a relevant story in the space and really believed what we were doing and wanted to get the word out. And that investor said now, you know, really they act as for us at our stage, how we how we want an investor set to act, they act as advisors and support for us if we have any questions and just really helping us and driving us. And, and at, at the same time, we let Adrian and myself get on with running the business. They have confidence in us doing that, which I think is really mm-hmm. important based on the stage we're, we're at. And I suppose looking at the, the stage you're at, we, we talked a little bit at the start about those first four months and COVID hit, hitting. And, and let's be honest, you've done you've done a pretty phenomenal job since then. The, the business is consistently growing more and more each month. What what do you put that down to? Is there a couple of things that have gone really well for you? Um, is, there, is there anything you look back and go, yeah, we've done a pretty awesome job here? I think um, the the decision to go after and, and get our licenses was something that was very important. And the reason for that COVID as well was we had control with our supply chain. So other, we could have went down a route, which was just purchasing product on a wholesaler market, but there was a lot of pricing and supply issues there. So that, that was a big decision that made, meant Will could focus on driving the marketing side of the business, knowing that there was always stock and supply there. And on top of that, what that's also provided for us now is the Irish license is giving us a platform that allows us to expand into Europe. And we're also you know, having interest from other pharmaceutical companies in the UK asking us about out-licensing opportunities for emerging markets. So that's definitely something that went well and is allowing us to grow and continue to grow via other channels that we might not necessarily have thought about at the start. And I think, yeah, so from from a commercial marketing side of things, I think we've, we have an excellent team, both from, as Adrian touched on pre- previously, from kind of the, the medical side, but also the, the marketing side with extensive experience in performance marketing. And we, I think we've built out a really efficient uh, marketing strategy within those channels. That's working really well for us. But we made a decision in the middle of COVID, which was fairly risky at the time where we decided to move you know a quarter of our marketing spend into a tv campaign and you know that that was tv campaigns i think traditionally are kind of brand building brand awareness pieces which for us are big because or is very important because you know healthcare and trust but that's been a really good move for us and we continue to invest in that now but you know between tv and online and our you know we're 11 months trading our brand's been seen by over 25 million people in the uk and ireland so that's i think that's been a really strong initiative for us yeah, um, yeah what was that feeling like when you're sitting there watching tv and next thing you see your ad pop up it must be pretty special yeah it was yeah it was, it was very surprising in terms of like the first time you watch it you're just you're a bit shocked and you know very proud and i think you know the voiceover and um, it's poor it, it really made it beautiful beautiful voiceover the voiceover being really poor now we, we we had a few like we've done a lot in sport has worked as well as a channel for us probably unsurprisingly in tv and I think we, we got a, a bit of a, a bargain on, on the, we, we advertised across um, the master or the USPGA. And I think that was a bit surreal seeing the spots come up and, um, you know, so it's, it's getting a lot of text messages from people. Yeah. Oh, senior adult. Well, you know, quite, they look quite like 
yeah yeah even uh, like even if i'm subconsciously not doing anything and i'm watching tv and it pops up I'm like oh my god there it is like i can only imagine yeah. what it's like for for you guys probably one of my my final question would be uh you went into this really really good friends and it's a very intense process setting up a business and all the challenges it brings on a daily basis how have you managed to kind of maintain friendship and, and a relationship throughout that I actually like I think you know if I was going to say it, it's it's one of the most enjoyable parts of the fact that we have our at five o'clock now we have our son's virtual team beer where all the different guys who are you know and are working from home we'll, we'll dial on and we have a a, a a beer for half an hour but like myself and Adrian will we, like in normal times would you know, most Fridays have a beer and, and don't feel we need to talk about work, you know what I mean? So that's, I think, great that we've been able to maintain and grow that friendship awesome. through it. You know? So um, Yeah, and I think, you know, even, you know, even at weekends when we still socialize, there's a good ability there to just park the work and just yep. pre- pretend that the business doesn't exist for 24 hours at least. <laughs> it's good skill. Well, lads, I can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing your story so far. It's been brilliant to hear how you've gone about setting Suns up and the success you've achieved in such a short space of time and dealing with things like COVID. And I just obviously want to, from us, wish you all the best with continued success and hopes uh, Suns go on to from strength to strength. Uh, but a big thanks for coming on and sharing the story. Really appreciate it, lads. Thank you very much. Thanks, Kieran. Really enjoyable. Delighted to come on.